ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcast. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Dr. Makarina Dudley about dementia diagnosis and the care in Māori. Makarina is a psychologist who works at the University of Auckland. She teaches cultural competence and coordinates cultural input on the clinical psychology doctoral program. She's also teaching neuropsychology at an undergraduate level. She is interested in cognition and the ageing brain and leads a large research project to develop a theory and diagnostic tool for dementia in Māori. She is a strong advocate of increasing the Māori workforce capacity in New Zealand, a mental health sector where Māori are disproportionately represented as mental health service users. Welcome. Kia ora, thank you. New Zealanders in Aotearoa are living longer and as a result conditions such as dementia are on the rise. The projected number of Māori with dementia is projected to rise from 2011, where 928 people had this condition, up to 4,500 by 2026. Makarina, Māori are significantly younger when the diagnosis of dementia is made, approximately 8.5 years younger, although the incidence is documented as being the same. This actually may not be correct. Tell us about why the onset is earlier and why the real incidence may actually be higher. Yeah, kia ora. Um, so, like, the true incidence of Māori with dementia may be higher than what we estimate for a number of reasons. Um, we think Māori generally slip under the radar um, in terms of diagnosis. Um, for one reason, generally, Māori have poor access to primary health care the non-Māori, whether it be through lack of transport to get to the primary health care provider, they may not be able to afford petrol, they may not be able to afford um, to actually pay for the doctor's fees. Um, if there's child or mokopuna or tamariki care involved, <clears throat> that can be also an, uh, an expense that um, may hinder the person's or the whānau's um, ability to uh, attend a primary health care. So um, the early signs of dementia, therefore, may not be detected amongst Māori um, than if they, as opposed to if they did uh, attend and access uh, primary health care uh, more readily. We also know that generally Māori are far less likely to access mental health services where the dementia might get picked up. And um, Māori are less inclined to have their komata or their elderly taken care of in aged care facilities. So um, this is in keeping with traditional practices where Māori would keep their elderly uh, within the home, if they um, whether they were well or unwell, so often um, the whānau would not present to the GP or to the primary health care giver uh, with their elderly person for that reason. Um, so there is a preference for some Māori who still adhere to traditional practices to keep the elderly at home. Um, Generally, aged care facilities are seen as not meeting the cultural needs of the whānau. Um, and so with this protective cloak, if you like, whānau um, can uh, prefer to keep the elderly at home for that reason. So that, and one of the main reasons that is, is because um, at home, the wider or the spiritual journey 
the 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 oranga to wairua, the well-being of the wider is cared for, is taken care of, and that's an important part of the of the person or the whanau's journey with um, who are living with dementia. Uh, the reason another reason why Maori may um, present earlier for it to present uh, more uh, with medical conditions that lead on to, uh, that can lead on, that may lead on to um, dementia, uh, conditions such as cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, multiple traumatic brain injury, uh, ischemic heart disease and so on. So in these medical uh, areas, Māori are overrepresented and so that's probably another reason why uh, Māori do present, um, may present at an earlier age. We actually haven't had a prevalence study as such. There is one in the pipeline which we hope will um, happen in the next couple of years and then we will be able to find more definitive uh, data on um, presentation, age uh, and um, you know age of onset for Māori. So Macarena, the diagnosis can be difficult too. Traditional diagnostic pathways have not had a Māori perspective or voice. The ageing brain study which you're involved in is exploring this dilemma. Can you tell us, tell our listeners about this trial? Sure. In, so in the LILAC study that looked at the health and wellbeing of um, elderly New Zealanders, it was found with the tool that we were using, the modified mini mental state exam, that Māori were being seen as a scoring in a range where it was thought that they were suffering from mild cognitive impairment or impossible dementia. So on the follow-up visit by the clinician, they were in fact finding that the person didn't have any signs of dementia whatsoever. So um, what we figured was that the the tool itself was wrong and it probably wasn't factoring in things. So the the tool is probably like many tools that are used, that are imported from other countries and used in, in New Zealand Aotearoa is that they probably have a cultural bias to them. And so in terms of the content of the tests, in terms of content being familiar with the with the person who it's been administered to, in, in this case Māori. And also it probably doesn't take into account the different educational background of many of our elderly. And so for that reason, we think that these tools are giving an incorrect and invalid uh, reading. And so we decided to uh, apply for funding in order to develop our own tool, which would be uh, a tool developed from the ground up, so using an inductive approach. And in order to do that, we travelled the country, we went to seven different sites, and we interviewed altogether um, over 250 komatua, and we asked them about their experiences and their understanding of dementia. And so what we did with that, um, with that information and with that knowledge is that we used it to develop our own tool, a tool that has been called the Māori Assessment of Neuropsychological Abilities. So its acronym is MANA. It's, we refer to it as the MANA tool. And so the MANA tool is made up of three components. So it has a cognitive component, component a functional component, 
and a contextual component. And the third component, the contextual component, was actually, which is actually administered first, is probably what makes this tool unique from any other tool in that it asks questions about the well-being of the person. And so this came about because throughout the interviews that we conducted throughout the country, there was this overwhelming message we got from the co-martyr that their wairua, their spirituality, was crucial to the journey, not only for them, but for the whānau as well. So in order to address that, we decided we would um, include a component that asked about their wairua. Also, uh, the, the tool has a component that is uh, asks about the person's medical history uh, and uh, background history. And so whilst we started off as it, the intention that it is to be a screening tool, uh, it could possibly be used as a diagnostic tool as well. We looked at the domains um, of all the various tools that are used currently in New Zealand. So we made sure, so it was a blend of Western science and and Mātauranga Māori, that is uh, Māori knowledge. So we made sure we covered all the domains that need to be covered in order to arrive at a diagnosis. But when we came to actually constructing the questions, we went back to the original data that we uh, that we had obtained from the Komatua, and we formed our questions uh, in the tools from that data. So. Um, I guess that's one aspect of the study that I feel really proud about, that it's representative of, um, of Komata and their thoughts and their, um, and their wisdom and their advice. And it's really representative of our Komata. So it's a Māori developed tool uh, in order to um, help that process, in order to keep it true to Kaupapa Māori methodology. We had uh, a team of investigators that had to be uh, had to fuck a papa to be Māori, but we also had um, the advice and input from uh, non-Māori specialists um, in in various areas, obviously in in aged care. And so, yes, we are about to pilot the tool, and that will be uh, finished hopefully in approximately four months, and then we will look at validating the tool. Um, and once it's validated, then we want it to roll out to the DHBs, to the GPs. I don't know if the GP is going to have time to actually administer it in that short window of time that they have with their client. But some of the tool itself, for example, the functional component can be uh, can be sent ahead or given to the whānau to fill out, um, you know, outside surgery hours. So it's a tool that we think will be, well, we definitely think will be Māori friendly, but we'd quite like to think that it would be New Zealand friendly as well. Sounds amazing. It is amazing. Well, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done. And I think when we initially uh, developed the tool, so we obviously had quite a few drafts, we had an iterative process with Comart in the community. So from those initial areas that we visited, we had them come back to New Ze- uh, to Auckland, sorry, and... Um, we worked through the tool as it was, and they provided fantastic feedback. I have to say, they were very vocal in what they uh, in what they saw and what they thought, and so they gave us some extremely robust feedback, which we obviously worked upon and then sent back for further feedback. So we feel the tool that we have arrived at 
is pretty much is very representative of what the Komato out there want, as well as being a very scientifically robust tool in Western terms. So um, as I said, we are yet to pilot it, so we will then refine it even more once um, the pilot study has been done. Great, so it's a watch the space. Watch the space. Perfect. Moving on now to another study that you've been involved in, Understanding Dementia from a Maori Perspective trial, which is a collaborative work between yourself and others, which has given us great insight into dementia from a Maori point of view. Māti wari wari. Yes. Tell us about this. What is the definition to begin with? Okay, so actually it's the same trial as the... um, as the development of the tool. It's, it's the same study, it's just a different um, objective of the study, outcome of the study. So um, what we wanted to do is develop a theory of mate wariwari. Now mate wariwari was the term that came up early, very early in the piece from, uh, from the kaumatua. Mate means sick or unwell. Wariwari is to forget or forgotten. So whilst I understand that dementia is much more than just forgetting loss of memory, uh, that is the term that was most commonly used in all the iwi across the, across the nation. And of course, as you know, there are dialectical differences. Um, but that is the one term that it was universal in terms of of the different Māori iwi. So I refer to it as often as I can now as mate wariware, and um, it means uh, memory that's not working very well. I refer to it as that ter- with that term. I refer to it using that ter- term because that is the term that Komata um, have preferred to use, preferred to use. Perfect. And language is always a consideration, as is labelling, isn't it? In your work, um, you mentioned that the words Alzheimer's and dementia invoked um, feelings of despair amongst the population, and it was quite a negative kind of labelling, whereas this is seen as more of a positive. That's right. You see, when we first began the interviews and we were talking about Alzheimer's or we were talking about dementia, there was an immediate reaction from the comata of uh, of fear i have to say because there is so much negativity and so much stigma associated with those terms i think non-maori feel pretty much the same about it as well but there was a strong feeling um from comata and one of the early requests uh from them was that we find our own term a term that was less frightening that evoked less invoked less fear from people and um, a term that was obviously Māori friendly and that's what they came up with. Actually I had a uh, Māori woman in my office the other day and I did mention, did use that word and oh, that really? language and the whole family just sort of withdrew and I thought oh, oh I've done something wrong here. Right. So that really? was obviously what it was you about. Used, did you use the term mate wariwari? No I used the term dementia. Oh, yes. Mm. And the reason being is because, well, this is what the, certainly the impression I got or the message that I got was that Komato don't know about dementia. They don't know about Alzheimer's. They've got no information about it. They know, all they know is it's a horrible disease and it creates all sorts of horrible behaviours and uh, ramifications for the whanau and probably leads to death. That's about all they know. Whereas if you're talking about mate wariwari to them, it's something that they can 
understand a little bit more, that they've got more of an affinity with. They're not just not so afraid of hearing that term. Um, so obviously one of the big messages we got was that we needed to provide more information and psychoeducation around, and education around around mate wari wari to uh, allay those fears and concerns that they have about about this disease. Mm. And for a clinician thinking really hard about our language and labelling. Yes, mm. yeah, yes. So talking about Maori health generally, the four pillars of Maori health are well accepted and known about. Te oranga wairua, or spiritual well-being, as you've mentioned, was the central category that sort of emerged from the data, both for the individual and the whanau. So keeping kaumatua active and in their cultural roles was seen as a big consideration in maintaining well-being. So can you talk us around this a little bit, please? Once again, I speak on behalf of the kaumatua. These are the thoughts that came from their uh, their corridor, their whakaro, their thoughts, uh, when we interviewed them. And I think the, the reason why they considered being their cultural identity has been an important part of staying well in this, uh, in the presence of this disease, is that there were quite a number of stories of kaumatua, whether it be male or female, when they went onto the marae, there would be um, a, a, like an almost a different person would emerge. Um, and the person who did have matiwariwari would kind of disappear, and that, and they would function in a relatively normal way in which they have functioned previous to having this disease, prior to having this disease. So I think it came from that, from those kind of examples that uh, that they had seen. This is really not all that surprising, given that. When Māori and particularly elderly Māori go back to the marae, go onto the marae, they're in an, an environment that they know, that they're familiar with, that they love, that they feel safe. And, you know, it, it's exactly the same as if we uh, organise their and structure their environment at home so that they feel that they can function better in that environment. It's the same type of effect so um, and also they are surrounded by long-term kind of procedural practices that just come automatically to them so um, as you know the um, long-term memory is the last to go and in long-term memory I held a lot of those uh, a lot of that information that has been laid down that uh, allows them to by corridor to speak, uh, to be a speaker on the marae, to call, to do karang on the marae, to mihi, to speak on the marae in an informal manner, to have karakia. All those kind of uh, behaviours and activities are stored in long-term memory, so it does facilitate better functioning um, when they are on the marae. Language would also be important too, wouldn't it, speaking <clears throat> today? Uh, language is absolutely important, um, and it's amazing the number of kaumata who related to us, how um, how their friends or other people uh, that they'd seen in their whānau, so their kaumata who they had seen and heard revert back to te reo Māori, which was their original language, which was obviously you know laid down in long-term memory. And even if it hadn't been accessed for most of that person's life, they 
could still speak the real and picked it up quickly again once if they went back to the marae or into that kind of environment so um that was really fascinating to hear and that uh, those reports like that came through quite quite frequently it wasn't an an uncommon sort of incident or that that occurred across the nation it was common for that to happen and that's not surprising given what we know about you know long-term memory so moving on to the five subcategories that explain Māori Whāri Whāri from a whānau perspective. So the causes, what do Māori believe the cause of dementia to be? Um, all right, so Māori talked about loss of land, they talked about loss of language, they talked about loss of traditional ways of being, how they gathered food, how they prepared food, how, what food they had. They talked about... A lot. What often came up was uh, the loss of uh, the uh, Maori ways of healing. So, um, quite a number of Komato quoted the loss of the tohunga uh, as part of the healing process, and so it, it, summing it up, the enduring effects of colonisation um, is what they were alluding to. Māori also see social isolation and loneliness as contributing uh, to this disease and quite a few kaumātua talked about when the loss of one of the partners, uh, when one of them passed away, that's kind of when the dementia, what they thought, the matawari would had set in. Um, so... And that, that, that is in line with what we know about socialisation and the possibility that it may slow down the progress of dementia. So um, when one partner would die, you are not, you know, using your brain and interacting so, so often. Um, a few komatoa referred to uh, retirement as being a possible causation of dementia um, and that's possible once again because of the social aspect that you're not interacting, you're not as with as many people as you were when you were working. You are probably not uh, using your brain as much as you used to. So that all fits in with that whole thing around social socialization. Um, a lot of Komato also talked about the importance of keeping up physical activity as a way of warding off, keeping matewarewari at bay. Um, and they considered that to be just as important as being socially active. So there were also some protective factors that you identified in your study. Can we talk about those? Yes, well, once again, protective factors, they come out were alluding to uh, factors associated with cultural identity. So speaking the real they consider to be a protective factor. Um, knowing waiata, singing waiata, being able to recite whakapapa, genealogy, um, being able to formally speak on the marae, um, being involved in kapahaka, song and dance. Belonging to a kaumatua group was very important. And um, just being on the marae, as I have said before, um, and other culturally based activities such as carving, such as weaving, because what you're doing is you're combining that social interaction as well as you're using your brain and that's spot on in terms of that. Um, by keeping up those activities, it's it's more likely to keep a person healthy and 
and ward off the onset of dementia. Right, so moving on now to aroha Mm -hmm. and compassion and caring. This was also identified as being a subcategory. Some whānau resorted to and automatically uh, defaulted to a position where they all came together, they pulled resources, they met and had hui, they talked about, they put a, a whānau plan into place to look after their kaumata. Now, as I've said before, that's in keeping with how traditionally Māori would look after their sick and their unwell. Um, and that was quite common throughout the country. There were uh, other whānau who were unable to put that traditional practice, traditional model into practice. Um, and these often were Māori who lived in cities, who didn't have the facilities, who didn't have the whānau connections, who were who didn't have the room in their house, who, who had uh, employment obligations which didn't allow them to um, put into plan, uh, put into place a plan as per as per traditional Māori ways of being or ways of of taking care of the elderly. Now this bothered some families, um, some whānau in the cities. They they were fighting a battle with themselves uh, about trying to keep up these cultural expectations of them and what in reality they were able to do. And some whānau, it was quite sad because some whānau were, um, were given a difficult time by other whānau members who would say, well, you know, why aren't you looking after your your kōro, your nan, your queer, why are you putting them into a, a, you know, a nursing home? Um, so there was kind of like a double dilemma for, for some whānau. But I have to say, in the main, whānau as a group, as a whole, as a unit, came together and did work together for the benefit of their kaumata. Um, that's amongst the people that I interview, and I'm sure it's different for each and every whānau um, on individual basis cases. Māori uh, treat our kaumata with, um, with lots of aroha and respect. We find they are special. They have a special place in our society and they have a useful role. And there was really no need to change that perception of that person or that person's place within the whānau or within the hapu just because this illness had um, been set upon them. So uh, it, a kaumata with, with mate wariwari wasn't treated any different uh, from a kaumata who might be suffering from some other uh, medical ailment. So there was not, um, generally there was not the stigma associated with it, um, with mate wari wari as you might see in the wider community. And that was really nice. So uh, the aroha and the respect for that kaumata continued. Uh, and um, usually you'd find that the, the whānau would adapt the environment, adapt the person's, uh, the kaumata was, daily activities to to fit in with what they were able to do and that would change of course as the comata was ability to function decreased and so um, that's what all the coma that's what the whānau would do they would just change the person's environment and their what they were ex- what was expected of them to 
rather than um, rather than stopping them being involved in the whānau altogether. There is a stage, I think it, it seemed to me that there was a stage where the kaumata was not able to uh, participate in, in their previous role in any meaningful way and that is something that I think the most whānau come to terms with and, uh, and understood, particularly the younger ones. Um, but, um, you know, once again, there is still a lot of, there's a huge need for information and education out there and that's why we have, um, just in a side study, we are developing a phone app um, which will be easily accessible to all whānau and it's about, it's just going to be full of information um, available to whānau in a way that is accessible to them. So it's going to be Māori-friendly, it's going to be, um, it's going to have graphics, it's going to have visuals, it's going to have sounds that are Māori-friendly so that we can encourage our whānau from from Komata right down to Tamariki and Mokapuna to utilize this to this utilize this app and to learn about Matewarewari and to be able to you know to deal with the Matewarewari uh, if and when it comes along. Mm. Mm. Sounds wonderful. Mm. So we've talked a little bit about caregiving yes. and the family yes. stepping up. Yes. Anything that's different from a Maori perspective compared to perhaps a Pakiha perspective when it comes to this that you picked up? Many whānau consider being keeping their kaumaru at home as the optimal environment for them to be. And in many ways this is absolutely true for a number of reasons, but particularly because they are able to provide um, the kaumaru with wairua um, healing. And that you know, irrespective of what the medical world thinks, to Māori that is so important, that that goes hand in hand. And if you're not going to address that, which often the medical world doesn't, then you're not going to get the best outcomes. You're not going to get the best journey for that person. And so um, at home, we know that that's going to take place. For example, when my mum was ill in the last year of life, she was bedridden, we regularly had karakia, we regularly had um, a portoro, that is a priest from the Rana Church, come in and see her. We regularly had hui where people would be speaking the, the language. And hearing the language in itself is building wairua, is oranga te wairua, is the well-being of the wider of the person. So being in an environment where you're going to, where that's going to happen is going to far surpass and improve on anything that's available out there in the community at the moment. Mm. So yeah, in some the problem is, well not the problem is, the issue is the whānau will probably have to make a call at sometimes if you know, if the behaviour becomes difficult to handle, if the person becomes violent or um, aggressive in any way, then I think the whānau uh, need to make a call then as to um, not only their safety, but the safety of the kaumata as well. And what about guilt from the families when they can't, when they have to pass the kaumata on or they can't deal with this challenging behaviour? Was that something that you came across? Guilt was quite a significant emotion that a lot of whānau were dealing with in terms of placing their kaumātua into an aged care facility. 
And um, that's why I think it's really important for whānau to be educated and to have information about the this condition of mati wariwari because I think that will um, help allay some of that guilt if they understand that really that is the best option for um, for for all parties concerned. So yes, there is there are a lot of whānau out there who feel guilty about. Um, you know, passing the care of their kaumātua over to strangers, so to speak. And not all of them do it. Some of them stick in there and um, to the bitter bitter end and really put up with some behaviours that are incredibly difficult. But um, they do that because of this guilt feeling that, 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 you know, comes about if they did any other way. And so dementia services... Um, what did you find about dementia services and the feelings of how they are catering to the Maori population? There was a range of responses from the Komata about their opinions of service providers. Um, I think the most salient message was that there aren't enough service providers and really a lot of them didn't know where to go to get help for this condition. Those that did seek help, help did and did had been receiving help. It was primarily from their GP, so there was a range of opinions on the the, the capability of the of the clinician to work with them culturally. Some they found uh, very um, very uh, positive in terms of the the intercultural sort of uh, relationship and in fact some of them spoke quite highly of more recent immigrant doctors that have been here they thought that they were really respectful um, that I do recall some comments to that effect generally Māori thought that uh, the clinicians could improve on cultural competency and you know what it's not that they were asking for a lot either most kaumata were happy if the clinician met them with a greeting such as kia ora, and that would indicate or signify to signal to the to the kaumata that there was some form of respect there in terms of their culture, and it would actually go such a long way in developing rapport into you know um, making that initial engagement um, a positive a positive one and you know you don't really need to do a lot more than that if you offer karakia that's wonderful but if you don't if you just get the uh if you start off initially with that small act of saying karakia that might be all that it's needed in order to have a positive relationship down the track what maori um particularly were keen to see were services that were um, tailored to meet the Māori needs. So, um, and you will see this in the whole orders around the countryside. Māori will access primary care if if it's a, a welcoming environment, because certainly the whole order services that I've visited, you can't get in the waiting room. There's, you know, there's um, there is a need for uh, Māori services that are providing care for those people, for those whānau who are living with dementia. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of uh, too many that are available uh, that are out there at the moment. I know one or two that do, do provide a, a, a Māori program uh, in their dementia care services, which is absolutely wonderful. And I know they have a fantastic response to them. 
uh, to that. But uh, other than that, um, but in the main, I think that uh, there is definitely a lack of Māori-friendly services, culturally appropriate services. And, um, and that is really, I think that's really sad because I think that hinders the whole journey for the whānau, for the person living with a dementia. Uh, incredibly, it makes a big difference. Um, so I do remember one queer, she was saying, one elderly woman, she said um, that her nana went, it did go into an aged care facility and she got on the piano, her nana would get on the piano and sing the old Māori songs. And so um, that kind of helped, that that queers wairua, that helps. So she was able to do that, but generally um, there was quite a lot of uh, negative feedback about the about you know cultural services and aged care facilities and that's one of the reasons also you know, as I've said why Fana will keep their um, their comata at home um, because there is there aren't culturally appropriate services and I think we need to move on from that in this in this day and age in this bicultural society that hopefully we're moving more towards um, and of course you know the um, we, we suspect that um, Māori, once we do the prevalence study, we'll know, we'll know for sure more definitely, but we suspect that there will be a lot of Māori um, suffering from this disease. So we need to be able to plan ahead and co- accommodate their needs and, and their cultural needs. Their needs of, this, of the, of the wairua is just as important as any medical advice and medical needs that are met. Mm. Absolutely. I was just making me think actually about primary care and access to primary care to to um, allow health equity and our yes. services of working mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. 8 till 5 or mm-hmm. 9 till 5 mm-hmm. when they're caring for their family and they have young children that they have to look after. It's yeah, a model right. that's not appropriate really, no. is it? no. I mean, I think that I do recall the days when the doctor would frequently come home and do home visits. I don't think that happens now nowadays. And so, um, so the hours that the surgery is open and that the GPs are accessible do not, are not conducive to um, many whanau's, um you know, daily program. As you've said, they have work commitments, they have childcare commitments, and they just can't fit into that time frame, eight to five or nine to five, whenever the surgery is open. And I know of one PHO in particular, you'll go there and uh, it is routinely a two-hour wait. And when you've got young children or you've got to get time of work, that's just not feasible. That doesn't work for Māori. So um, the answer is obviously make GPs more accessible but we know that there's a shortage of GPs anyway and in the far north where I'm coming from where I come from there aren't even enough GPs um, to you know to um, serve the community as it is let alone asking for uh, an extension of of services so it's a huge problem but like a lot of the problems I think in New Zealand um that exist out there in our society, Māori suffer most because of that. So the lack of GPs in the country hits Māori more and um, and, and whānau with, with who are living with Matiwarewari. Just to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners, please? The first um, take-home message, I think, is that to uh, realise and understand that uh, Māori are often diagnosed later than non-Māori um, because of their uh, lack of accessibility to 
primary health care and to uh, mental health services. Um, we also need to consider and think about modifiable risk factors that might lead uh, to dementia for Māori which, and they who are overrepresented in uh, cardiovascular disease, um, ischemic heart disease, uh, dementia and multiple TBI. So it's important to keep those um, those messages in mind. Um, it's important to get the whānau involved early, um, and so you might even encourage the whānau to hold their own hui within the whānau. Keep the kaumātua active uh, in both the family and the community setting. So encourage the, the whānau to, to think of ways of keeping their kaumātua involved um, and the reason why behind that, that we know that uh, socialisation and um, uh, community involvement um, may slow down the progress of dementia. Um, to language is important. This is the third message. Language is important when discussing dementia in Māori. So if you can remember to use the term mate wariwari, that will sit generally more comfortably with Māori rather than the term Alzheimer's or dementia, which with its associated stigma and negative thoughts um, that come with it. So, um, and it's people tend to feel labelled when those terms Alzheimer's and dementia are banded around. Matewari Wari has a softer uh, uh, connotation and is more accessible. So, language is important to think about when discussing. Um, when discussing this issue with whānau. Think about all the four pillars of Māori health. Um, and Te Whare Tapawha is well known in this country and used throughout any area of health uh, with Māori. And it's actually probably very useful to use for all New Zealanders, not only Māori. But in particular, Te Oranga Wairua is important. It is as important. And in fact, if you take note of the thoughts and the, um, the the discussions of the comata, it is probably more important than uh, the physical needs or the needs of the body, the medical needs that you um, might give to your patient. So think about the wairua of the, uh, of the patient of, and of the whānau. You may need to access uh, a cultural consultant, a comata, but um, concurrently with what, you know, what sort of uh, help and advice, medical advice that you are giving. Um, so um, we need to optimise Māori health uh, and Matewariwari services in the community. Um, the stress, the burden of caring for kaumātua, particularly in the uh, latter stages of of the condition can be too much for the whānau and they just may not have the resources to cope. As much as the heart is there, sometimes it's just not practical. So um, it's really important that we that we develop and design services that meet the cultural needs of the whānau. Keep the language alive, the language in itself. So kaumātua, when they hear the language, it is, it is a factor that can actually assist in the well-being of that person's wairua and the whānau's wairua. So um, 
if you know so encourage the fano to use the language to use te reo maori as often as they can and if you as a practitioner as a clinician can even just pick up the basic words of kiora and perhaps a little bit about your background if you are able to give a pipiha if you feel comfortable doing that that's wonderful but really quite basic things um, like kiora uh, and other practices like offering karakia um, but pronouncing the words is really important to Māori because it kind of it hurts our ears if we don't hear it pronounced properly. But if you try, if you try, it's it's a it's a journey for everybody, and um, and Māori will appreciate even uh, you know even if you try to pronounce their words properly, and it just really contributes to good rapport between doctor and patient. Absolutely. Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please go on to our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.